Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard, and today is Monday, May 1st, 2023. It's been 3,351 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 432 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened, well, over the weekend in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, Ukrainian forces continue to set conditions to complete their retrograde operation in Bakhmut and end their defense of the city. Second, the heaviest fighting continues to be limited to the Bakhmut and Marinka operational areas. Third, due to continued poor weather, flooding, and saturated soil, we find it unlikely that Ukrainian offensive operations can start before mid-May. Fourth, we maintain that Russian offensive operations in the Svatva and Kremina operational areas have culminated. Fifth, the Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective and have exhausted their combat potential except in the Bakhmut operational area. And finally, The use of alternative private military companies and the lack of support by Russian airborne or VDV forces caused PMC Wagner group leader Yevgeny Prigozhin to lash out at the Kremlin, and Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, morning reports are no longer mentioning the PMC, indicating that the rift has reopened. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. In the Dvorichna operational area, the Russian MOD and the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Ukrainian positions in Liman Pirshi have been shelled for the fourth day in a row. The Russian MOD reported that Ukrainian forces continued probing attacks using reconnaissance and reconnaissance in force near Sinkivka on April 29th and Vilshana on April 30th. On April 30th in the Kupiansk operational area, the Russian MOD reported fighting between squad or platoon-sized units near Orlyanske. On April 29th in the Svatova operational area of Kharkiv, the Russian MOD reported that Ukrainian forces made probing attacks near Krochmalne. The Russian MOD also reported a Ukrainian attack in the area of Artemivka, 
This is either an early Soviet or pre-Soviet name for a village on the line of conflict, or the report is in error. The nearest Artemivka, according to current maps, is well west of the line of conflict. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. The operational tempo remains low, with the spokesperson for Operational Command East, or OKE, Colonel Serhi Cherevati, reporting only seven clashes in Luhansk over the last 24 hours and a slight reduction in Russian artillery strikes. On April 30th, in the Svatova operational area of Luhansk, the Russian MOD reported that Ukrainian forces probed Russian defenses near Berestova. In the Kremina operational area, Russian forces continued attempts to advance from the western edge of the forests toward Torske, Yampolivka, and Terny without success. According to Russian sources, Ukrainian troops were able to push back on the small Russian advance made northwest of Dibrova. Mercenary mill blogger War Gonzo reported that Russian forces were pushed back in the Serebriansky woods to the Seversky Donetsk floodplain west of Shiplivka. War Gonzo also reported that Russian forces attempted to advance from the forested areas west of Kremina without success. Positional fighting continued in the Serebriansky woods. In the Lysychansk operational area, Bilohorivka has become the most active area in Luhansk, with Russian forces making repeated attacks on the settlement without success. The so-called Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center for Control and Coordination, or JCCC, shared pictures from the April 28th HIMARS on occupied Bryansk. The pictures don't indicate a HIMARS strike and are more consistent with a mortar attack. In northeast Donetsk, in the Solidar operational area, PMC Wagner-aligned Russian combat journalist Alexander Simonov reported that Ukrainian forces are making the situation, quote, very tense in Paraskovievka due to active counter-battery fire, drone operations, and occasional targeting of Russian ground lines of communication, called GLOX, those are supply lines. In Bakhmut, Ukraine's retrograde operation continues, with PMC Wagner being held along new defensive lines over the last 48 hours. There is no reason to believe that Wagner Group has culminated after a consistent pattern of making territorial gains followed by a 48- to 96-hour pause. The Russian MOD reported 58 fire missions with seven close air support sorties by Russian Army Aviation and Air Force, or VKS, on April 29th, and 61 fire missions with no airstrikes on April 30th. In breaking news, General Oleksandr Sirsky, commander of OKE, claimed that Ukrainian forces launched a limited counteroffensive within the city of Bakhmut, which forced PMC Wagner to retreat from several positions. Northwest of Bakhmut, PMC Wagner led attacks in the directions of Minkivka and Bohdanivka without success. Intense fighting continues near Khomove, with Russian proxy forces and Ukrainian troops trading defensive positions near the T-506 highway G-lock, sometimes more than once a day. In the northern part of Bakhmut, there was no change, with continued fighting in the area of Hospital No. 2 and PMC Wagner occupying a handful of homes past the line of conflict. In west-central Bakhmut, Ukrainian and Russian sources claim PMC Wagner occupied the medical college, with Ukrainian forces falling back to the high-rises west of Tchaikovsky Street. The situation is unchanged in the southern part of Bakhmut, with Ukrainian forces under heavy pressure along Korsunskoho Street and Robocha Avenue. 
South of Ivanivsky, the Russian MOD reported that Ukrainian forces launched a counterattack on April 29th, while the GSAFU reported that Russian attacks on April 30th failed. The Russian MOD also reported that Ukrainian forces went on the offensive in the direction of Chasivyar on April 29th, while the GSAFU reported a failed Russian attack. There were no new claims that the T-504 highway G-lock was severed, with repeated claims of Ukrainian troop rotations, including from the Russian MOD. In the Kostyantanivka operational direction, a Russian attack in the direction of Pretechne was repulsed. In southwest Donetsk, Russian mill blogger Vladimir Grupnik reported that the city of Donetsk was flooded and, quote, there is terrible mud, end quote. The poor conditions have not, however, deterred Russian offensive operations. In the Avdiivka operational area, the 1st Army Corps continued direct attacks on Ukrainian defensive positions in Avdiivka from Krutabalka, Kamyanka, and Vesele without success. Russian casualties are reportedly significant due to insufficient artillery and armored vehicle support. On April 29th, Russian forces heavily shelled the city, and on April 30th, the Russian VKS bombed an apartment building, trapping one woman in the rubble. Overnight on April 30th, Avdiivka was shelled with thermite, despite the known presence of civilians. Ukrainian source Deep State reported that Russian forces suffered heavy losses north of Opitne and Vodyane and were forced to retreat. On April 30th, our favorite FSB colonel, convicted war criminal Kremlin pariah and failed Mobik Igor Strelkov Girkin, confirmed the Ukrainian report, saying, quote, Near Avdiivka, our troops failed, and now, due to heavy losses, they are forced to retreat again, leaving part of their previously occupied positions. End quote. There was not enough information to change the map, and we have consistently assessed areas where Russian troops have a tenuous hold as no man's land. Multiple Ukrainian sources reported a Russian attack in the no man's land between Vodyana and Sieverne failed, as did War Gonzo. Russian attacks on Pervomaiske also failed, with the 1st Army Corps attempting to advance from Piski on April 29th and then from the south on April 30th. In the Marinka operational area, there is conflicting information. Russian sources, including Girkin, reported that Russian offensive operations failed on April 29th and 30th. Our favorite FSB colonel said, quote, In Marinka, on the whole, without changes, the bloody street push-pull continued throughout April with varying success. End quote. Russian mercenary mill blogger Rybar claimed Russian troops had marginal success on April 29th, while the GSAFU reported all attacks failed. One Ukrainian source reported that Russian troops had occupied the area west of Druzhby Avenue, which Deep State repeated. We didn't change the map, however, due to the conflicting information. Geolocation has become extremely challenging in Marinka due to the level of destruction of the city. In the Wukhladar operational area, the 1st Army Corps has restarted the tradition of repeatedly attacking Novomikhailivka, suffering losses, and retreating to their original defensive positions. In Pavlivka, geolocated videos show that Ukrainian forces have had success advancing from the west, pushing on the Russian flanks. We adjusted the map based on the new intelligence and expanded the no-man's land north of Mikilske in the direction of the coal mine complex east of Vukhledar. Alexander Khodakovsky lamented the loss of territorial control, writing that what took months to secure 
was lost in 12 hours. On April 29th, the Russian MOD reported that Ukrainian forces probed Russian defense near Novomayorsk. Insurgents in Mariupol documented the movement of three Russian T-90 tanks, but did not indicate in which direction they were traveling. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Moving on to Zaporizhia. Ribar confirmed local resident reports that rockets fired by HIMARS hit the railroad depot in occupied Pokmak. In occupied Malitopol, a hotel used as a barracks by Russian troops was also hit by HIMARS, according to videos and confirmed by Russian sources. The exiled mayor of Melitopol, Ivan Fedorov, wrote a message of hope and indirect thanks worth sharing. Quote, Despite fear and terror, the people of Melitopol under occupation inform, wait, and act. You are our resistance and support. Thanks to you, we are in control of the situation. We are communicating it to the general public, and we are able to help free our people. Despite the enemy's efforts to drive residents into an information vacuum, journalists and bloggers hold this front. Despite the threats, the visits of the occupiers and the abduction of loved ones, the only local site continues to work. We thank all the local, national, and international mass media which deliver the truth every day. Melitopol is and will be Ukrainian. End quote. To our listeners in occupied Zaporizhia, we see that you're listening through the tracking data. The truth matters, and we will continue sharing the truth with you. There was no update on the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OKS, reported seven Black Sea Fleet vessels on patrol with no missile carriers. Earlier in the day, there were 15 ships, including four missile carriers, capable of launching up to 24 caliber cruise missiles in total. The fuel terminal at Cossack Bay burned itself out, with 10 storage tanks destroyed or heavily damaged. An estimated 40,000 tons of fuel were destroyed. With black smoke hanging in the air and minefields, bunkers, trenches, barbed wire, and dragon's teeth on Crimean beaches, the Gauleiter Vadim Volchenko, the Minister of Resorts and Tourism for Occupied Crimea, somehow said with a straight face, quote, Crimea is preparing for the beginning of the May holidays and the holiday season in an absolutely regular mode, end quote. Okay, the emphasis is mine because that is a completely ridiculous thing to say. I imagine that Mr. Volchenko also believed that the musicians who played during the sinking of the Titanic tuned their instruments in an absolutely regular mode. In western and central Ukraine, there was a significant reduction in shelling, with the director of communications for OKS, Captain Natalia Huminyuk, claiming that poor weather, combined with Ukrainian counter-battery fire, has helped calm the situation on the west bank of the Dnipro. Despite Russian artillery strikes down 50 to 70 percent, two civilians were killed and four wounded between April 29th and 30th. A Russian cruise missile targeted critical electrical infrastructure in Free Kherson, knocking out power to thousands that will take days to repair. 
Russian-occupied Oleshki was heavily shelled, along with Kachovka and Holopristan. In Dnipropetrovsk, Russian S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack struck near a chemical plant in Pavlohrad, setting off a massive explosion. There are numerous claims of secondary explosions, but the longest video distributed on the internet is muted, and all other videos only record a single, massive blast. A short video records the sounds of several additional smaller explosions immediately after the initial blast, followed by silence. The shockwave blew windows and doors out up to five kilometers away. Thirty-four area residents were injured by flying debris in the concussive force, including five children. Two people were in critical condition. Some assessment? We cannot conclusively determine what exploded, but the initial blast, the lack of audio evidence, and how quickly the fire burned out, with little damage from secondary explosions through the city, do not point to an ammunition depot being destroyed. Air defense missiles, as Russian sources claim were destroyed, explode airborne and resemble fireworks when they cook off. They don't fly off in a consistent pattern. On top of that, the leaked Pentagon documents stressed Ukraine was critically low on air defense missiles, and Ukrainian forces haven't stockpiled ammunition in large caches since February 2022. Ukrainian sources claim that the explosion was caused by 1,800 tons of solid rocket fuel from 38 SS-24 intercontinental ballistic missile engines and lower-stage assemblies stored in Pavlorod since the Cold War. A November 22, 2019 story in Ukrinform documented the disposal work, stating that rocket fuel disposal had stopped due to a lack of funding. Even in 2019, residents were concerned about the hazard caused by the stored fuel, which was 20 years expired. However, just as we cannot confirm that an ammunition depot was hit, we cannot confirm 38 Soviet-era rocket booster assemblies exploded and flew in various directions. We are committed to being right over being first. Eighteen cruise missiles were launched at Ukraine yesterday by the Russian VKS, and there are reports of power outages in Dnipro due to damage to electrical infrastructure from a Russian missile attack. On the Russian front, Ukrainian forces reportedly fired on the village of Suzemka in the Bryansk region, allegedly killing four. A home was destroyed and two more were damaged. In the Sverdlovsk region, saboteurs destroyed a relay and battery cabinet near the Nizhny Tagil station, destroying railroad safety controls near Yekaterinburg. Russian investigators report finding a bottle with fuel by the damaged cabinet. In Bryansk near Unetsky, Saboteurs set off an explosive charge on railroad tracks while a fuel train passed, derailing at least seven fuel tankers and igniting a fire. A bomb threat was called into the Pulkovo airport in St. Petersburg, forcing a temporary closure. The unknown person introduced himself as Grigory Leps from Ufa and promised to arrange, quote, the worst day in St. Petersburg, end quote. The airport was closed for about an hour while officials did a security sweep, no explosive device was located. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. After wild claims of dozens of Russian bombers in the air and up to 200 cruise missiles ready for an attack, nine Tu-95 strategic bombers from Murmansk and two Tu-160 bombers over the Caspian Sea launched 18 Kh-101 and 555 cruise missiles. Fifteen were intercepted, mostly around Kyiv, 
with the Patriot missile system reportedly involved in providing air defense for the first time. In the previous 72 hours, Russia was able to cobble together 23 cruise missiles and four Iskander-M short-range ballistic missiles. Ukrainian air defenses intercepted 89% over the last three days, including four Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones. Yesterday's limited attack was likely in retaliation for the drone strike on Sevastopol based on previous actions by the Kremlin. On Telegram, LiveJournal, and VK, Russians expressed frustration about how ineffective the day's attacks were and how Ukraine's energy infrastructure is no longer being targeted. When Russian collaborator and occupied Zaporizhia administrator Vladimir Rogov says stop spreading fake propaganda, you know it must be over the top. According to Rogov, Russian social media accounts are circulating a story that Ukrainian Major General Vladimir Oleinik, who allegedly commands the territorial defense units, was assassinated outside his house. Rogov points out that the commander of Ukraine's territorial defense units is Major General Ihor Tansyura. There is no such person as Vladimir Oleinik, and Tansyura is quite alive and healthy. He then admonished people for sharing the propaganda and demanded that readers practice information hygiene. Quick sidebar, the first step to practicing effective information hygiene is to stop following Vladimir Rogov. Ukrainian Commissioner for Human Rights of the Verkhovna Rada, Dmitro Lubenets, advised people in the occupied territories to accept Russian passportization, saying, quote, Take a Russian passport. Make the decision to survive for yourself. This is the most important thing. We understand that this happens under pressure, physical pressure. Therefore, take a passport, survive, and wait until we liberate this territory. End quote. Ukrainian forces shot down a SuperCam S-350 reconnaissance drone developed by SuperCam based in Izhevsk, Russia. The drone has a flight time of four and a half hours and can send real-time surveillance data up to 100 kilometers away. In Bellevue, Ohio, in the United States, surprisingly convincing mock-ups of Russian S-300 and Tor M-1 anti-aircraft systems were photographed moving by rail. The S-300 launchers are enough to fool a drone at altitude, while the Mach Tor M1 is impressively done. What they're doing in Ohio is a mystery, and it's unknown if these are destined for Ukraine, spy satellite image calibration and testing, or autonomous weapons calibration. When the United States announced a $2.85 billion support package for Ukraine in January, one of the munitions provided was 4,000 Zuni air-to-ground missiles. This caused speculation on what platform would deliver them and if this was a prelude to the appearance of NATO warplanes in the Ukrainian Air Force. Ukrainian commander of the Air Force, General Mykola Olishchuk, shared a picture and confirmed the missiles had been adapted to launch from Su-25 ground attack aircraft. The Zuni has over triple the range of the Soviet-era S-8, enabling Ukrainian pilots to stand off further from Russian air defenses while providing close air support. Speaking of enabling, let's talk about the Russian military, mobilization, and MIR. The head of the Russia Sedentary Foundation said the Russian MOD had recruited almost 10,000 prisoners in April to penal units and various private military companies, including 400 that went to Wagner. While the Russian MOD has blocked Wagner from further recruitment in Russian penal colonies, 
There was a, quote, surplus in April, according to Romanova, that went to Yevgeny Prigozhin's mercenary organization because there weren't enough commanders in the newly minted competing PMCs. Romanova reported that Prigozhin had recruited 49,000 penal soldiers since June 2022. Over 37,700 were killed, wounded, missing in action, or deserted. Another 5,000 have completed their six-month contracts and returned to Russia. Fewer than 2,500 penal soldiers remain, with many reaching the end of their contract in May. She estimated that 10,000 Wagnerites remain in Ukraine. Prigozhin claimed in an interview with Semyon Pegov on April 28th that 6,000 Wagnerites were fighting for control of Bakhmut. In the same interview with Pegov, Prigozhin claimed that PMC Wagner was completely cut off from ammunition by the Russian MOD, with the typically pro-Kremlin Pegov calling it, quote, scandalous, adding, quote, yes, during the interview, many harsh words were said to please our enemies. Yes, such issues should be resolved behind the scenes and not displayed in the public field. But let's set aside emotions and calmly sort out the problem voiced yesterday. Prigozhin's claims are quite obvious. While colossal ammunition reserves accumulate far from the front, assault units are sitting on starvation rations. By the way, this is not only about PMCs. In other areas where active hostilities are taking place, they also experience a shortage of shells. End quote. Assessment here. We had previously assessed that the problem wasn't a shortage of ammunition. Well, except anti-tank weapons. Rather, the reality of firing 40 to 60,000 shells a day was unsustainable. Even at 20 to 25,000 shells daily, Russia uses 3 to 400 percent more ammunition theater-wide. We find the message in the public sphere that, quote, collateral ammunition reserves accumulate, end quote, but in our assessment, this is almost certainly untrue. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.